You're listening to Embolden Adventures. I'm Sarah, and welcome to the podcast. Hello, listeners and adventurers. Thank you for joining us on this new episode of the Embolden Adventures podcast show. Embolden Adventures. Be emboldened. Emboldened Adventures is meant to inspire you to travel, to encourage you to see the world, to get out there, to explore, to learn. Let Emboldened Adventures motivate you to take those steps to experience the world. Follow along. Check out emboldenedadventures.com. Sign up for email updates on new content and ideas. Get involved with Emboldened Adventures on social media and subscribe to the Emboldened Adventures podcast show. Click on the purple podcast link on the website to the Emboldened Adventures iTunes page. Search for Emboldened Adventures on your smartphone podcast app and select subscribe. Please rate the podcast and tell us what you think. Conclusion to the Embolden Adventures podcast series, A Wedding in Jordan, brought to you by Spice Road Travel. Spice Road Travel, connecting you to the Middle East. Visit Spice Road Travel at spiceroadtravel.com to learn about customizable tours you can take around Jordan, the United Arab Emirates, and Oman. Tell Spice Road Travel how you've heard about them on Embolden Adventures and receive 5% off on your first Spice Road Travel booking. In part one of a Wedding in Jordan podcast series, we met the bride-to-be Jen and heard why she decided to have her wedding in Jordan. In part two, we met the groom-to-be Adam and heard about his experiences growing up in Jordan. In the final part of this podcast series on Jordan, we follow Jen and Adam as they get married in the ancient Roman city of Jarash, located near the capital city, Amman. After the wedding, Jen and Adam took 35 of their closest friends and wedding guests from around the world on an epic adventure throughout the country. Spice Road Travel planned this adventure in Jordan for Jen and Adam and their large group of guests. It was a seamless trip that showcased the richness and deep history of this beautiful country. The highlights of the trip included flavors of the city, touches from ancient civilizations past, Bedouin desert culture, the magic of the rose city of Petra, the history of the biblical era, Red Sea and Dead Sea relaxation, and camels galore. <laughs> this wedding in Jordan adventure began in the capital city, Amman. Amman is diverse, cosmopolitan, and a safe city in the Middle East, with deep roots reaching as far back as the BC era. Jen and Adam's guests arrived from all over the world, from Argentina to Australia, the United States and Europe, regionally from Beirut and Qatar, and even locally from Amman. A lot of us, having just arrived that day and fighting off some jet lag, had the opportunity to meet one another for the first time, or even say hello again. By the evening, all of us headed out to the popular Rainbow Street area near downtown Amman to grab some local bites and enjoy the nightlife. I invited two of my friends who are in town, Ritu and Joanna, to join us for the night as well. Joanna is an American who's been living and working in Amman, while Ritu was in town from New York City traveling around Jordan with her tour group of her own. She was inspired to book her trip to Jordan after hearing part one of this Emboldened Adventures podcast series. Adam picked this area because of its stretch of good local street snacks. 
It was a short, cheap cab ride away from our hotel. The first place we went to was a small hole-in-the-wall shop that serves this delicious Jordanian egg and cheese sandwich called a karak, spelled K-A-apostrophe-A-K. This small shop was sort of like a pizza place with a brick oven. Here they bake loaves of bread similar to smaller versions of Italian bread, and then they sprinkle sesame seeds on top of the bread. Also, they bake hard-boiled eggs in the oven that creates this sort of roasted, smoky flavor to the egg. For one Jordanian dinar, or JD for short, we ate a delicious karak sandwich that we put together ourselves over at the side counter. We take the warm bread from the oven and cut it apart. We deshell the egg and add a few slices of it to the sandwich. Then we add this soft, spreadable cheese and a dollop of some of this local red chili pepper paste called a shata, and then sprinkle the dried spice blend called a zahatar. It was such a good snack and filling too. Take one bite and taste that warm freshness of the bread and this delicious combination of ingredients. Next door was a small falafel place that some of us also tried. And next to that place was a Jordanian local bakery that sold different types of traditional bite-sized sweets made out of phyllo dough, pistachios, almonds, and drizzled with honey. The area was a great place to kick off the night and meet new people who we would be spending a week together around the country in the coming days. After that, the last stop was to an outdoor rooftop bar and hookah place. Most of the group stayed here for the rest of the evening, drinking a locally brewed beer, smoking a hookah, and getting to know one another. It was fun. From the rooftop, we had a gorgeous evening view of Amman under the stars. Out in the distance, built up into the hillside, I could see many uniformed, off-white rectangular buildings that are characteristic of the Middle East. Here the idea sunk in for me for the very first time. We're in the Middle East. The next day, we toured around Amman and later headed to an ancient Christian town called Madaba. We started the day with the mini tour given by Adam. He pointed out his high school situated atop one of the seven hills of Amman. The ancient columns and ruins of the Roman temple of Hercules were located nearby. They stood high above the city at the Amman citadel. Here at the citadel, we could see a panoramic view of the city and the Roman amphitheater down below. An enormous Jordanian flag flew in the distance. Standing at over 415 feet tall, it once was the tallest flagpole in the world. Next, we took some time to explore the old, vibrant Balad shopping district at the bottom of the hill, where I picked up a few trinkets, a small decorative camel, and some hand-painted blue and white ceramics made in Jordan. Some of the guys bargained for traditional Bedouin clothing, like a long white gown called a tob, and a red and white checkered headscarf called a kafia or a shamag. Worn long on the head, the kafia is held in place by a black circlet of rope called an agal or sometimes the kafia is wrapped around the head and tucked into place. I found some of the ladies in the Palestinian dress shop trying on traditional dresses. It was a bit of a fashion show and selfie event to say the least. The dresses were colorfully embroidered and had long sleeves and were long to the ankle. I ended up choosing a gorgeous sheer black cloak with pronounced gold embroidered trim down the opening and around the cuffs of asymmetric sleeves. I thought I drove a hard bargain, but I soon learned that the shop down the street was selling it for much less. I think I was given the tourist price. Although, I did take that lesson with me and negotiated much tougher during the rest of the trip. 
For lunch, we all stopped at Hashem, the famous and oldest falafel place located at the edge of this shopping district. Here, for just 14 US dollars, a large group of us ate the most deliciously smooth hummus and freshly fried falafel. It was the best falafel I ever had. We also ordered the fava bean spread called faul medimus and some pita bread, and also had the traditional hot tea with sugar and fresh mint. Next to our table, they were filming a famous Lebanese television show host eating his meal, who later posed for photos with the chefs and the waiters. In the afternoon, we headed southwest to visit Mount Nebo, a biblical site where Moses was known to have seen the Holy Land. It sits atop a hill and has some views of the Dead Sea, Jericho, the Jordan Valley, and on a clear day, Jerusalem. At the site, archaeologists uncovered beautifully preserved mosaics from a 4th century AD Byzantine church with scenes of lions, peacocks, camels, grapes, and even people wearing sandals. A large mosaic on the floor of the church was on display outside and some smaller examples were located inside the museum. They were amazing to see up close. They were so colorful, and they showed how life looked like back then. After taking a few group photos with the Jordan Valley in the background, we headed to dinner, but not before I bargained for a fossilized sea urchin some of these merchants found in the ancient valley nearby. The restaurant we went to was in an old 20th century stone house. We had dinner in their outdoor courtyard filled with desert palm trees and flowers. At dinner, we ate even more fresh hummus and had tabbouleh, chicken kebabs, fresh salad, and a local semi-hard cheese, sort of like a feta cheese. The food was so good. And even the friendly cat came by the table asking for some scraps. Adam's parents and family sat next to me. It was really nice to meet them and share dinner with them. His parents live in Amman and they were so sweet. And this dinner was a great way to start off the wedding festivities. In the morning, we headed to Jarash for the outdoor wedding ceremony held inside the grand ancient amphitheater. The drive to Jarash was about an hour and a half north from Amman. Our guide, Ahmed, explained to us on the bus that Jordan has many different climate areas around the country. The types of climates range from an arid climate in Amman to a hot desert climate in the south near the Red Sea to a cold desert climate in the Wadi Rum area to a Mediterranean climate where Mount Nebo is and where we're heading to in Jerash. Ahmed said this area of Amman and Jerash experienced a few inches of snowfall in January. It totally shut down the entire area because people were just not used to driving in the snow. The country declared a holiday until the driving conditions improved. Interestingly though, Jordan is actually the fourth driest country in the world. Seeing the Jerash Amphitheater was magnificent. It first dates back to the 3000 BC era. But the Greco-Roman ruins that still stand today are from around the first century AD during the Jesus era. These Roman ruins are considered the largest and most well-preserved in the world outside of Italy. Called Gerasia by the Romans, it was once a prosperous trading city positioned along the incense and spice trade routes to the Red Sea. It remained a modern trade route that connects Syria and the north to the Red Sea, but it's quieted down lately with the Syrian border now closed. 
The old city walls still circle Jerash, separating it from today's more modern city. When all of us wedding guests arrived, we first entered Jerash through the three-arched gateway called Hadrian's Gate, named after the Roman Emperor Hadrian, who spent a year here. To the left was the Hippodrome, where they held chariot events and horse races, and there was still an old seating area for 15,000 spectators. We made our way to the large South Theater, situated atop the hill. At the base of the theater, we saw scores of uniformed Corinthian columns standing tall. These columns form an outline of an oval plaza called the Forum, and one short column stands in the center. A straight roadway called the Cardo opens up from the oval, and it too is lined by uniformed columns standing tall on each side. It's quite awe-inspiring. I must say, it's a magnificent sight to see during its day, and the old city still feels very much alive today. We didn't have much time to explore at that point, unfortunately, because we had a wedding to attend. <laughs> we hiked up the hill and entered the Grand Amphitheater. Bleacher-like stone rows in the form of a semicircle created this interior space. There must have been about 40 rows of seating. There was a stone stage with lots of decorative columns and carve-outs for what I assume were for statues. It was an old performance theater. We could hear our voices bellow with the great acoustics. Without further ado, we grab our seats on the benches and begin to hear the bagpipes and the drums of the Jordanian Zephyr Band. In a Muslim wedding, the bride and groom celebrate their nuptials with a festive dance complete with this Zephyr Band. Jen and Adam make their way out through the middle archway on stage and dance a bit with the band. Then they found their way down to the floor where the wedding guests join in on the fun. A few of Adam's friends started dancing a debke, a line dance. The dancers interlock their arms to shoulder and dance with fancy footwork and jumps. We return to our seats to hear Jen and Adam exchange their vows. Jen had been practicing to say hers in Arabic and then repeated them again in English. Their friend and New York City cop Adonis officiated the ceremony. Their Australian friends, Gemma of the Australian pop rock band Better Than Wizards and Yasmin performed the Nina Simone song, Feeling Good. The celebration was joyous and festive, and I was thrilled to be part of this beautiful moment in Jen and Adam's life. After it ended, we toured the area while Jen and Adam took their wedding photos. We visited the temples of Zeus and Artemis, the small north amphitheater that still had its original red and blue colored tiles on the floor, and an old church with original mosaic tiles similar to that of Mount Nebo. Our last stop on our walking tour was to an old temple with lots of columns. In making our own version of a well-recognized travel photo, we attempted to take the picture from the ground looking up, trying to get the tops of all seven columns into the shot. Ahmed showed me where I could feel one of the columns move. I placed my fingers between the seams and I could feel it wobble. I knew my fingers weren't going to be crushed, but it was still a weird thing to experience. Someone inserted a spoon into the spacing too, and you can actually see the spoon moving up and down. After reconnecting with Jen and Adam, we all boarded the bus to head back to Oman, where we got ready for the evening reception down at the Rainbow Street area. It was held in an outdoor rooftop and restaurant with a gorgeous view of Oman, the Citadel, and the large Jordanian flag. Another Zephyr Band performance was held. This version was the Palestinian Zephyr Band, complete with singing, dancing, and bongo drums. The men wore white and thin navy blue striped tops, 
and a white kafiye secured to their heads with a black agal rope. The ladies wore their traditional Palestinian black dresses and head coverings with red embroidery. Some of us also wore our traditional embroidered dresses that were bought at the Balad marketplace. Now that the wedding was over, it was time to start our adventure around Jordan. Our first stop was to ancient Petra, best known for the Indiana Jones and Last Crusade movie. The drive to Petra is about four hours south of Amman. We had two half days to explore the area before we moved on to the Wadi Rum Desert. Petra is one of the new seven wonders of the world and also a UNESCO World Heritage Site and it is definitely the highlight of anyone's trip to Jordan. It is known as the Rose City because of its beautiful colored rose sandstone canyons from which the ancient city was carved. The area sort of reminds me of the red sandstone rocks of Sedona, Arizona, and the ribbon-like slot canyons of Navajo Nation. The ancient Nabataeans built this city and ruled the area from around 170 BC until about 100 AD and during the Jesus era. It was a wealthy city in the desert mountains that benefited from the frankincense and spice trade routes. The Nabataeans thrived because of their ability to harness the water in the desert. They figured out how to direct water through terracotta pipes placed into the carved channels along the canyon walls, and they created engineering feats with their dam work. At the height of their civilization, the Nabataeans grew to 20,000 strong. They carved multi-story grand facades with magnificent columns into these rock walls. The architectural style is a blend of Greek, Roman, Assyrian, and Egyptian. These extravagant caves are thought to be tombs commemorating their dead. Above some of the doorways, there are these carved stairways that signify ascension into the heavens. No one really knows what ultimately happened to the Nabataeans. A few theories are that they either abandoned the city after the trade routes changed course, or a massive flood or earthquake destroyed the city, or they were conquered by the Roman Empire. They left the remains of a gorgeous city behind, though. Most of it is still not excavated. Just this week, archaeologists discovered a massive monumental structure buried underneath the sand. The people who reside there now are the Baduls, but they're also Bedouin. The Baduls, they used to live inside these caves all around the area, but they're now living in a village off to the side of Petra. The Baduls have this distinct look that's a bit different from the other Bedouins throughout the country. The men look a lot like Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. They have dark features and long wavy black hair. They wear black eyeliner and they wrap long scarfs around their heads. It is thought that some of these people were either the Israelites who were driven out of their land back in the day or the servants to the Indian traders who passed through the trade route. The main attractions to see in Petra are the Sikh, the treasury, and the monastery. The Sikh is this natural canyon walkway or gorge that leads to the city of Petra. At its end, a glimpse of the treasury appears between the two slits of the rock canyon as if they were being unveiled by curtains. The treasury is the most famous and one of the most elaborately carved facades of all of Petra with gorgeous columns, ornate detailing, eroded statues, and an urn sitting atop its apex. The facade stands about 130 feet tall. It's called the treasury because legend has it gold and riches from an Egyptian pharaoh during Moses' time were stored inside. Bullet marks on the urn are from those shooting at it, thinking gold was inside, but really it's just a carved rock. 
The other equally magnificent facade is the monastery that looks similar to the treasury. The monastery is nestled up into the mountains, and it is accessible from an 850-stair hike through the canyons. Some other attractions you can see along the way are the numerous carved facades along the rock cliffs, a large amphitheater carved out of the sandstone rock wall, and the ruins of what once was a Roman-like city with columns and temples. During the prosperous times, these temples had pools of water for decorative purposes, showing off their wealth and magnificence in the desert. If you like to hike, there are many old trails in the area. It's expansive. The area of Petra is about the size of the island of Manhattan. When we first arrived at Petra, we went on a long afternoon hike through the Seek to the Treasury. Then we continued on to a long hike up 250 stairs into the mountains to the high place of sacrifice. We began at the entrance to Petra, past the tourist shops and the Welcome Center, and on to the sandy pathway. Here the horses were resting at their outdoor stable, while others were working hard in the heat and sun. They're transporting some tourists back and forth on saddle or by rickety carts. The way down to the treasury was not so bad because it was a gradual decline, but the way back up was tiring, especially after a long day of traveling and hiking in the heat. We entered the seek and it's just stunning. The smooth rock walls rise high up to about 300 to 500 feet. And they are colored in natural earthen pastels of reds and pinks, yellows and browns. You can see the different colorful striations in the rock. It's just gorgeous. This gorge twists and turns with the way it was eroded from the wind and water. The pathway is only really about 15 feet wide and you share it with the horses clip flopping down the stone path. You can still see some of the original cobblestones from the Nabataeans. We walked down the path with Ahmed, who gave us a guided tour of the area, pointing out old carvings along the wall, including this one life-size scene of what was a man leading a caravan of camels. We continued on until the treasury appeared. It was just awesome. This was really Petra at this point. I couldn't stop taking photos. With every step, I was snapping another shot. After spending some time marveling the treasury, we followed Ahmed onward. We walked past the carved tombs and the jack sparrows and got to the beginning of the hiking trail. The trail was a hard climb in hindsight. A few of us turned away, but the rest of us succeeded in scaling all 250 stairs and then some. I passed a few of the Bedouin ladies selling trinkets along the path, although most of these makeshift shops were closed. We later learned that tourism is now down 95% in Jordan because of the perceived danger due to the conflicts in the countries that surround Jordan. It's such a shame because Jordan is a beautiful country with the nicest, most welcoming of people, and at all times throughout the trip, I felt safe. So go to Jordan. Check out Spice Road Travel for more information on booking a trip just like this one. Ask for Sue. She can help you customize the trip you want. She even has a unique camping access to Petra. So email her at sue at spiceroadtravel.com to inquire more. I continued up the path, logging behind the group. I was struggling a bit, but I was also taking too many pictures. The rest of the group was way ahead. Being alone made for a bit of a spiritual experience, though. Here I was all by myself in the middle of a gorgeous canvas of mountains and the desert and the wind. I heard one of the Bedouins singing in the distance. 
Then later I heard someone playing a flute. The flute reminded me of the time I was atop Pichu that overlooked Machu Picchu from way high up. It was just a bunch of us hikers in the misty clouds. There was this absence of noise, and then someone started to play this flute. I was also reminded of the time I was in Sedona last year, also high up in the rocks after a hike through Boynton Canyon to explore one of the energy vortexes. A man was playing the flute and it felt spiritually enriching. After he finished playing, he passed me on the trail and gave me this sandstone rock that he made in the shape of a heart. I nearly made it to the top of the mountain on this trail in Petra when I met this Bedouin lady. She spoke some broken English asking me, where you're from? I ended up bargaining for some old coins that she was selling. Take my advice, don't buy the coins. I should have listened to Ahmed. These coins are fabrications of the old Roman-like coins. I figured she found them around the area, just like they found my fossil sea urchin in the Mount Nebo area. I got her down to 3JD from 10. I figured, what the heck, what's 3JD? Take the risk. If they're real, what a return. But if they aren't, well, then I lost the equivalent of four US dollars. The lady wanted to show me around the place, the panoramic 360 degree view of the Petra mountaintops, her Bedouin camp down below, and an old temple in the distance. Can you live over there? Yeah. In the Bedouin tent? Yeah. Yeah. Specifically, they went over up here. You walk up here one hour every day. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But no husband died. Your husband died? Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, look, Aaron. And that's Petra over there. Yeah. Wadi Musa. Wadi Musa. Yeah. Very nice. Beautiful. Yeah, good eyes. Yeah. Is that a call to prayer? Allah. From that high up, I could hear the goats and the camels making noises. Then she showed me the sacrificial altar. No, here, high place. Come. The Nabataeans carved the altar wow, out of the flat altar. rock into yeah, a rectangular yeah. depression, similar to yeah. like a kitchen sink. It's a circle, yeah. and, it's a and then from there, they carved a drainage path wow, for what I assume is for the blood. I don't know the story behind the sacrifices, so they made the sacrifices? but seeing the altar was yeah. a bit creepy. Right I thanked the lady and continued on to find the rest of the group. From here, the horizon opened up. It was just a seamless view. Where we stood on the flat mountaintop area, we could see all the other mountaintops. We were the king of the world here. I could see the small town in the distance, as well as the Jordan Valley. My favorite picture I took of the day was of the Jordanian flag flying tightly in the wind at the edge of this cliff. The flag was in the foreground and the entire view of the brown landscape was in the background. Just before heading back, we heard Isaac do his Mongolian chant at the top of the mountain. The hike itself took over an hour and the time spent at Petra that afternoon took us about three hours or so. We didn't have much time before dinner, so we trekked back down the path and back through the Sikh, up the hill, and then to the restaurant. I was exhausted, but the dinner was a fun event. We headed to Petra Kitchen to learn how to make Jordanian food. We divided up into tables. Each of us worked with the chefs to prepare a different dish for all of us to eat for dinner.
We made hot and cold appetizers, or mezzas as they're called, including a baba ganoush, a tabbouleh, and the Jordanian national dish, mansa. Mansaf is a lamb stewed in yogurt sauce and placed over white rice and a green pita bread. Squish a small bit of ingredients together in your right hand and eat it. It's a bit of a mess, but most people seem to love it. Not me, though. I don't eat that. At the end of the heavy mansaf and the cheese pastry for dessert, combined with the heat and the hike, I think all of us were ready for bed. The next morning was a very early one for those who wanted to hike up to the monastery. They took the long back route and through Little Petra. The rest of us hikers left about an hour later after an early breakfast. Early morning Petra has this peacefulness to it. The horses were all resting, so the walk was quiet. We retraced our steps through the Seek and past the treasury. We walked past the amphitheater and the temple ruins. Here the friendliest black and white puppy ran over hey, to puppy. us to say hello, following us up the mountain hike to the monastery. My friend Ritu told me later that she had that same puppy join her up her hike too. This puppy was so playful, and at one point she chased away a herd of goats on the path. We headed up along past the Bedouin caves and up into the canyon. Again, I felt like we were hiking out west in like northern Arizona or even like Utah's Zion Canyon. This 850 stair hike was actually not as bad as the hike to the high place of sacrifice the day before. Some of the Bedouins passed us with their donkeys that were hauling up supplies. Some asked if we wanted to pay to take the donkeys up to the path to the top. Lamborghini, they'd say. When we heard Adam in part two of this podcast series, you may recall that he was part of a film crew of the movie Transformers 2. They were filming scenes at the monastery and considered using donkeys to cart two tons of gear to the top. Instead, they decided to transport the gear using a Black Hawk helicopter that they borrowed from the Jordanian army. After walking this path, I think that was the better of the two choices. At the end, we arrived to the monastery. It was hidden behind an unassuming rock wall. And there it was to our right as we turned the corner at the end of the trail. Across from the monastery, a cafe was nestled away into a rock cave. Here, we were happy to find our other hiking group resting after their longer hike. They made it. We made it. We're here. We're here. It's the best. Everyone should come to Jordan. I was most happy to see that Myron from New York City made it. He was struggling up the path with me the day before, but he pushed through today. It was very easy. So anyone could do it, you think? Yeah. 800 stairs? In a, fair, in a fair amount of shape, yeah. If you've gotten used to walking long distances, you could be on And a lot of squats. <laughs> a lot of squats. Saying those squats I did helped. A few of us forged ahead onto another path to a higher viewpoint of the monastery and of the surrounding mountain area. On this path, I passed the cave that Carl from the TV show An Idiot Abroad stayed in overnight. At the top of this viewpoint, a Bedouin selling trinkets was playing an aoud instrument and singing. Back 
down at the cafe, it was refreshing to take a break in the cool cave with everybody. We drank teas and freshly squeezed juices that were served to us. This, to me, is the best restaurant, the best cafe, the best view. We have the monastery right here, a gorgeous yeah. cave. We feel very Arabian with the... You feel Arabian? Why not? You got the rugs, you got the, what is it, the Bedouin whiskey? Bedouin whiskey. This is awesome. Here, I met Ali Baba. Ali Baba. As he calls himself and another Badul and a soldier from the Jordanian army. Ali Baba was our translator. This soldier is a Bedouin, and he is part of King Abdullah II's desert army. Oh, that's you in one of the pictures? Yeah, one of these pictures. Yeah, one of the desert army. Yeah, this is the desert army, and you see, they guard him. He didn't speak much English, but he was eager to share a bit of his story with me. The soldier showed me pictures of himself in traditional desert army royal uniforms. One picture he showed me was him on a camel, and another was of him saluting the king. Abdullah riding a camel? Yeah, they was with them. Oh, that's, is that you? He's in the middle here. Have you met the king? Yeah. Is he nice? He's, he's my heart. We love him. He was even part of the army that was securing the area when Obama came to visit Petra. I heard Obama. You met Obama and Petra? You met Obama too? I have a picture with him. You do? Yeah. And he met all the Bedouin there. Oh, is that right? And we teach him uh, how to make the bottle sand. Oh, really? He was doing some bottle sand And he rode the donkey. Oh, you, Obama rode the donkey. He said that Obama took the donkey up the path along with the Secret Service. It was time to head back, but not before a few of us took the long way back to the sea. Our next stop after Petra was to the Wadi Rum Desert to camp out under the stars with the Bedouins. On the way to Wadi Rum, we stopped at an old railroad station in the desert. If you remember the movie Lawrence of Arabia, Lawrence teams up with the Arabs to fight against the Ottoman Empire back in the early 1900s. These battles occurred in the Wadi Rum Desert and in Aqaba near the Red Sea, where we would be heading to after Wadi Rum. Here was an actual old rail line and the train station built by the Ottomans. And on that rail line was an old fashioned real train on display. We climbed into the train cars and explored around. We got to walk through the first class, the coach cars, the engine room, and the caboose. The train still had its Turkish flag flying. After this quick stop, we drove to the entrance of Wadi Rum. The Bedouins were dressed in the kafia red and white scarves and their long tobe garments. They met us in their old-fashioned Toyota 4x4 pickup trucks. We were whisked away in the backs of the pickup trucks to go off-roading in the sand trails into the desert. If you watched the movie The Martian with Matt Damon recently, you may recall seeing the scenery of planet Mars with the red sand and the rocky mountain terrain. This background was really the Wadi Rum Desert. We arrived at the Bedouin tents in the desert. The Bedouins welcomed us with hot Bedouin whiskey. Bedouin whiskey is really brewed tea on the campfire with sugar and mint. After getting settled in, our group decided to climb up the large boulders next to the camp to about 50 feet high or so, where we could get a bird's eye view of the desert. Here we waited for the sunset. It turned the desert sand and the surrounding rock terrain to a pink, to a red, and then eventually brown. We went back down to the camp and a few of us got dressed into a traditional attire from the Balad market back in Amman. 
The guys were wearing their keffiyehs with their white tobes, and some of the gals were wearing their long embroidered dresses. Jen had on a gold coin head covering as well. For four hours, the Bedouins were cooking chicken, lamb, vegetables, and spices in a charcoal barbecue underground. This was the Zarb dinner, and it was just about time for it to be unveiled. There we go, the moment of the truth. We ate our dinner as a group under the main community tent. Afterwards, we sang and clapped along with the Bedouins, who were performing for us around the campfire. At one point during the performance, we celebrated the newlyweds with Jen and Adam with a clap, song, and dance. Waking up the next morning, I was welcomed by an early morning peace with sunrise and the grazing camels in the distance. I sat up high on one of the rocks and just took it all in for a while. Soon enough, it was time for us to go hot air ballooning. We went in two sequential groups, getting door-to-door -door service from the tent to the balloon and back again. The balloon was a vibrant yellow with navy blue stripes and was a stark contrast against the sand and the terrain. It was just beautiful. We reached heights of 3,000 feet and we could see as far out to Israel. The sun continued to rise while we were in the balloon and the surrounding area turned to a bright yellow, which made it look more like a desert. Once we landed, the hot air balloon basket was stored onto the back of a flatbed pickup truck. We actually got a ride back to town inside the hot air balloon basket. We probably hit speeds of about 50 miles an hour driving across the flat desert. It definitely was quite an experience. So what do you think? We're riding in a basket, in a pickup truck, hot air balloon basket. fun things to do at Wadi Ram before we headed on to Aqaba. First we took out the old Toyota 4x4s to go off-roading around the desert. Then we drove to Lawrence Springs to take a quick view of the ancient petroglyphs carved inside the small canyon walls. And then we drove past the large sand dunes pushed up by the wind along the mountainside. Next we climbed up a naturally carved rock archway about 30 feet high and we all posed for a group photo. But the best part of it all was the camel caravan ride we took back to town. Our adventure around Jordan was soon nearing its end. We had a very busy, tiring few days on the front end of the trip. Fortunately, these next few days were filled with some rest and relaxation. We traveled south to Aqaba, located on the Red Sea, after the Wadi Rum Desert. This part of the country is in close proximity to Egypt, Israel, and Saudi Arabia, and they all share this small area of the Red Sea coastline. While we were there, most of us had a chance to get in some scuba diving and snorkeling. The Red Sea is actually very salty, and a bit on the cooler side at a chilly 73 degrees Fahrenheit or 23 degrees Celsius. 
The diving and snorkeling, it was shallow water, more or less. We explored a sunken ship and an old military tank underwater. Both were gifts from King Abdullah II, who was an avid scuba diver himself. Once we got to Aqaba, the heat and humidity were most noticeable. At one point, temperatures reached about 110 degrees Fahrenheit, or 44 degrees Celsius. By the Dead Sea, our last stop on the adventure, it was no better. But despite the heat, being at the Dead Sea was quite fun. The Dead Sea is the lowest point on the surface of the Earth, at 1,400 feet below sea level. The Dead Sea has the highest concentration of salinity of any sea on Earth, at 43 billion tons of dissolved salt and minerals. The strength of the sun evaporates the seawater by six feet each year, and the water cannot be replenished with rivers or streams or rainwater because the area surrounding the sea is just so dry. And that's why you can float. We enjoyed our time bobbing up and down in the Dead Sea. It's a funny feeling, unlike anything I've experienced before from swimming. I tried tasting some of the seawater. It's gross. <laughs> it tastes like a strong, sour wasabi that comes with your sushi. Don't do it. <laughs> but don't forget to moisturize. The Dead Sea mud and minerals are very healing for your skin. While you are there, be sure to lather up the mud and let it dry. Then take a dip into the sea to wash it off. Later in the day, we watched the sunset over the Dead Sea. And then our group celebrated together for one last dinner before saying our goodbyes for the trip. The trip was quite an epic adventure destination wedding. Thank you, Jen and Adam, for inviting us along on your journey. And thanks to Spice Road Travel for arranging the trip for the group. And lastly, thank you for joining us on today's Emboldened Adventures podcast. Stay tuned for the next podcast on the United Arab Emirates coming soon. From Jordan, my brother, his girlfriend, and I headed to Dubai and Abu Dhabi to explore the area and to meet my Arab doppelganger. Find out more soon. Remember to subscribe on the Emboldened Adventures podcast on iTunes and sign up on the Emboldened Adventures website to receive email updates and new content on travel adventures. Thank you for listening. Until next time, adventurers. Oh, my God.